Uh, Allie, or I asked Allie when we got into the parking lot this morning, uh, I said, do I look tired? I said, I feel tired. Do I look tired? She goes, yeah, you really do. And so I don't know how this is going to go. So uh, this could go either way. So if you have your copy of God's Word, let's go to, uh, going to go to Numbers chapter 13. This sermon's a two-parter. Um, we had two options. I could either take an hour and 10 minutes to preach it in one, in one day, which I can do. I'm, I'm capable of that. Um, or we could split it up into two weeks because I love y'all and I love your attention span. Uh, we're going to split it up in, into two weeks. If you happen to be a guest with us here at Fort Caroline, uh, I would encourage you uh, to come back next week because you're, you're, you're not going to get the, the, the whole shebang if you, uh, if you just come this week and don't come next week. So, all right, uh, so, so we've, been, we've been walking through the Exodus with God's people, the Israelites. Uh, 400 years of bondage, 400 years of slavery uh, that, that had just uh, decimated the people. Uh, they had no home, no real place to call their own. And yet God told them, he said, I'm going to give you a land. There is going to be a land uh, that is going to be yours. And so uh, God tells Moses, he says, you need to go to Pharaoh. You need to tell him to let, let my people go. And Moses goes, I don't know, man, I don't talk good. I don't know that, that I'm really your guy. And God says, well, I didn't really ask if you were the guy. Uh, I, uh, I told you to go. And so Moses says, well, then who do I tell him to send me? Because if I tell Pharaoh that I'm, that I'm doing this, I know where my head ends up and it's not on my shoulders. And God says, you tell him that I am that I am sent you. All right, and, and, and Moses goes, eh, good enough for me. So he goes to Pharaoh. He says, you're going to let my people go because I am that I am sent, uh, sent me. And so there's that. God's people are led out of bondage. Uh, Pharaoh chases them. God parts the waters of the Red Sea. The people cross through on dry land. Pharaoh said, if it's good for them, it's good for me. Tries to cross and his, his army is drowned, okay? I gave you history in a, in a quick 30-second snippet, okay? Fast forward a year, Okay. Um, there's a reason why this book is called The Numbers, because when you have 1.6 million people, you have to count them. All right? There are 12 tribes uh, of the Israelites, okay? And so, uh, so God wanted them all counted. And so the way they did the census is they, they uh, broke it up by tribes and then woven into the, the genealogies of the people who were counted are stories of what happened during the Exodus. We looked a little bit at Exodus, how God sustained them. It's important that you understand how God sustained the Israelites all through the Exodus. Because the Israelites are going to do some dumb stuff. And most of it revolves around their unbelief that the God who is, in, who is, um, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine uh, is actually going to do anything exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask, think, or imagine. They forgot, okay? And it's important for us to, to remember that because, because there are going to be times in your life, church, that, that life is going to hit you hard, all right? You're going to receive a medical diagnosis that you weren't looking for. The doctor says you have cancer, all right? Or your spouse is going to come to you and say, you know what? I thought about it. I just don't love you anymore. I think we should get a divorce, your kids could, you know, could, uh, could you know, get uh, uh, caught doing something stupid and are sitting in a jail cell and they call you. And all of a sudden, at that moment, life hits you hard. If you wait until that moment to decide that the God of creation is willing and able to do things that are exceedingly more abundantly, more than you could ask, think, or imagine, it's too late. So understanding and undergirding everything that we do under this idea that God is holy, that God is sovereign, that God has our good in mind, just as he did the Israelites, changes how we view the circumstances of our life. Okay. 
So let's talk about, let's boil it down to brass tacks, okay? Here we are in Numbers chapter 30. I'm going I'm to set it up because verses 1 through 24 are, are essentially the story of how God told Moses, you're, you're, they're, they're literally camped on the outskirts of the land, outskirts of the promised land. And God's going to tell Moses, he is going to say, say, all right, here we are. This is the place. Now, mind you, this is a little bit over a year, all right? So they've been walking through the desert for a year. Roughly, I think it's roughly about 200 miles, all right, that they have gone from Egypt to the, the uh, doorstep of the promised land. And so they've walked this time. God's led them around, kind of led them through the desert, and now they're here, okay? And, and he's going to say, you're going to send some spies into the land to go figure it out, okay? Go look at how many people there are. Go look if the land is what I told you that it was, and then, then have them bring back a little bit of proof. There are a lot of Old Testament names in this passage that I'm not going to recite to you. All right, because, because you actually respect me right now. And so I, I want you to respect me after, after we're done and think that I actually know what I'm talking about. I am not going to butcher these Old Testament names to you today. All right, I want to summarize it to you just so you understand where we are. Because when we pick up the story, um, the Israelites are going to have a choice to make. And the choice is going to be, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is what God has given us, is it worth what it's going to take to go in and do it? And then the perspective is going to be, can we do it? All right. So the Exodus to me, because mind you, I mean, if you've been in church any length of time, you know the Exodus wasn't a year. All right. It was 40 years an entire generation had to die out. Uh, before they could enter. So why are we on the cusp of the promised land after one short year? Well, here's the thing. The, the story of the Exodus is kind of like leaving Fort Caroline Baptist Church to go to Disney World. Okay, like we're going we're gonna to meet up here, all's going to be well, we're going to part uh, Blunt Island and, and we're going to walk through and then we're going to go together, we're going to go down, we're going to go Disney World, we're going to go ride all the rides, uh, we're going to eat all the food, we're going to do the food tour of Epcot, going to Mexico, which is my favorite place at Epcot, okay, because they have a really cool ride in a volcano, all right, and so we're, we're going to go together and we're going to ride together and, 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 and we're all excited, we're headed down 95 together and we're just talking we're singing because that's what the Israelites did we're singing together and life is great we jump on I-4 and man that's the last like little bastion of of, of lostness we have to go through is the I-4 traffic to get to Disney World and then it's like we get to the outskirts of Orlando the traffic's starting to get heavy and 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 you're starting to realize man I am almost there and we look around we turn around we go to each other and we, and we look and we go yeah, this is good enough let's just stop here let's just I don't think we need to go any further. There's a lot more traffic. There's a lot of, there, there's a lot of people that aren't from around here. You know, I, I just don't, I don't think we need to go all the way. I think, you know what? You know, I, I think, uh, I think Kissimmee is far enough. Let's just chill here. That's exactly what the Exodus is. They're camped on the outskirts of the land God gave them, the land that is literally flowing. I don't know about literally flowing milk and honey, but it had milk, had the, the idea of just sweet and beautiful and wonderful. And God's people just go, eh, I don't know about all that. It sounds good. I just don't know that it's really my vibe. They have been walking for a year. And so they're going to send, send spies from each tribe to scope out the land. All they had to do was come back and say, and say, yeah, it looks good. 
God can do whatever. Let's go. Let's go take it. Have you ever in the Old Testament seen the Israelites take the easy road? Like all they had to do was literally cross the Jordan and they're there. Problem is, the land of Canaan already had people there that were a that were an, an obstacle to getting to the place that God had for them. And now at this point, where we're going to pick up the story, the Israelites have a decision to make. So as we dive in and we dissect the anatomy of a disaster, let's look at today's big idea: your perspective in the midst of a big decision, can do one of two things. It can either stiffen your spine for the fight that's ahead, or it can keep you from experiencing all the blessings the Lord has from you. Perspective is, can be your greatest asset, or it can be your worst enemy. How you view the obstacles that are in front of you can determine whether you are going to take the land that God has given for you or you're going to wander through the desert of restlessness for years and years and years. Let's pick up the story in verse 25. Numbers chapter 13. It said, at the end of the 40 days, they returned. If you're comfortable writing in your Bible, underline that first, that first phrase. At the end of 40 days. It won't, be as big, it won't play as big a part today, but it will next Sunday. All right, Because we're going to look at... Uh, at, at the Exodus as a whole next Sunday as we kind of tie things together from the Old Testament side of this passage. Um, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. They came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, what they did is when they were, when they were spying, they went in and, they, and to, to bring back proof that the fruit was good. Like, like this isn't just like, this isn't like, like food lion fruit, okay? Or, or like, like some kind of other fruit. This is like fresh market fruit, all right? This is the, the kind of stuff you get at the farmer's market on Beaver Street, okay? This is the, the good, the, the real sweet, the goods, okay? They bring back, literally cut off a cluster of grapes, and they bring that cluster of grapes back and say, here, don't just take our word for it, okay? Try it. So they showed them the fruit of the land, verse 27. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and, and this is the fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there, they're giants, um, and the Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought, the people, uh, brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land which we thought, or I'm sorry, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. You see how the story is growing? The, they, they, they literally eat, their, eat the people that come in, okay? You don't want to be food. He says, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And, and we, seemed, uh, we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers. I almost say grasshopper so bad. <laughs> he said, and so we seemed to them. 
All right. It's like fishtails. They just keep growing. They keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. If this story would have been allowed to go on, you know, like, like uh, the, the, Anag, or the, the Amalekites and the Anaks were going to look like Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I mean, just like the size of, of, of you know, big people. All right. Um, so three things we need to look at from this. I told you I'm tired today. Uh, three things I want us to look at from, from this passage as we, we unpack how the Israelites went through their decision-making process. Now, church, understand how the, the, how the Israelites go through their decision-making process is a case study for how we should look at the, the obstacles that are in our lives and how we can approach it from a biblical worldview. Okay? First is this, God's will, church, is always, 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 always for our good. But it rarely comes with certainty. There's a reason for that. All right, look at verse 27. He said, the land flows with milk and honey. Like the Lord was going to send, send them to live in a gulag of some kind. Right? Like for the rest of their lives. He, he has led them out of, out of bondage to send them to the land that he had chosen. He said, I love you. I love you enough to not allow you to live in, in slavery. So I'm going to lead you out. You think I'm just going to lead you to some dump? That's not the plan. But they still had to scope it out. So they bring back this cluster of grapes to show the people the good stuff that awaited them inside. Literally brought back a tangible example of the goodness that God had waiting for them. God himself was the one that told Moses to send them in. Look at, look at chapter 13 and verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan. God was the one that sent them in. He said, go. He said, go check it out. Have them bring back a little bit of proof so the people can see. What he didn't brief Moses was on what they, is what they would find. Nor did he, did he brief them on how taking the land would go. You know why? Because what was in the land and how they were going to go back to, to, uh, to, to take it was none of Moses' business. He didn't call Moses to go in there and take it. He called Moses to be faithful and to, to send the people in to look. And then to go back and take the land. Don't you want to know, church, what the name is of your next pastor? I mean, seriously. I mean, if you knew the name right now, this moment, of your next pastor, what is the absolute first thing you would do? You would go stalk him on every bit of social media he has. And y'all are like, no, no. The first thing I would do is pray for him and for his family. No, you wouldn't. You'd go look on, go look on Facebook. You want to see who he roots for in college football. You want, to see what, you want to see if his wife looks nice. And you want to see if their kids look, look well-behaved. Wouldn't it be easy if God just told you, look, this is your guy. It's going to take a while for him to get here, but this is your guy. Just hang on, and he'll be here in a little while. That'd be too easy, wouldn't it? Why didn't God do that? I've asked that question on a, on a bunch of occasions in my life. Why didn't God just give me the end of the story? Because like, like I am, I'm the guy, I don't like surprise birthday parties. I don't like surprises. When I was, when I was pastoring full time, the very worst thing that someone could say to me is, is hey, pastor, you want to go have lunch? Because you, know you know what I'm expecting? 
I'm expecting to get blown up over something I said or something I did. I don't like surprises. I don't want them. If you call me and make an appointment with me, I need you to say, hey, look, there is no agenda here, or I'm about to blow you up. Like, if you're going to blow me up, fine, just tell me ahead of time. It's not going to change how I respond, but at least I'll sleep the night before. Wouldn't it be easy, like when the doctor calls and says, we have your test results, can we, have a, uh, can we make an appointment for, for three Thursdays from now? Are you out of your mind? You're not going to have to read those test results in three weeks. I'll be dead. Every day, church, every day, we make educated guesses. And that's what, honestly, can we be honest? That's what life is most of the time. We're making educated guesses without all of the information, without all of the, the, the things that we need to make an informed decision. We rarely get to make decisions that involve absolute certainty. But church, let me tell you what acting in faith looks like. It looks like not that we're making rash decisions by living our lives in the dark. Acting in faith means that even though we don't have absolute certainty about the road that's ahead, we have trust in the one that does have absolute certainty. And so all God is asking the Israelites to do here is, is, is trust me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to send spies into the land. But when it comes back and it doesn't look like the way you thought it would work out, that you believe that I wouldn't just drop you at the doorstep of the promised land and walk away. God's will is always for our good. But not having certainty and still trusting God anyway deepens our faith. Number two, attaining God's will sometimes involves struggle. Verses 28 and 29. So however, mind you, so here are the grapes, enjoy the grapes. Now, while you're munching on the grapes, there's a lot of big people in there. Sorry. This past week, I told you we were in North Georgia, you know, I always got messed up with, with, uh, with one particular sign on those windy roads. Now, we had to Dramamine Alley up to the hilt to get her to the state park because we didn't need her blowing chunks all over the side of a mountain, okay? And so, so, so you know, when we're driving, there are all these signs, like, you know, like the grade sign, like use lower gear and, and, and uh, you know, like, like blind curve ahead, um, the one that's always gotten me is watch for falling rocks. Have y'all ever seen that one? There's a picture. It should be a picture of, of uh, watch for falling rocks. Um, uh, this is not the exact one that, that we, we found. This is just the uh, this is one that, that's similar. Um, I always wondered growing up as a kid, and I'm, I'm going to show you a little bit of my ignorance. Um, I always wondered who falling rock was. Like, I didn't know if it was like some kind of Indian name. I didn't know, like, like, like who is... Who is Falling Rock? I'll be glad to watch out for them. I just don't know who Falling Rock is, right? Now, is I, hey, there's no, this is not a joke. You shouldn't be laughing at this. Uh, that, that's that's not, not even a thing. All right, so um, as I've matured 
and gotten older, a little bit, little bit grayer, I've come to realize that on mountains sometimes, the rock that is a part of the mountain sometimes just like cuts loose. It gets tired of hanging on. Boy, do I get it. What a metaphor for life, right? Um, and it falls, and sometimes that falling rock will land in the middle of the road. The, the hope is, is that your vehicle is not um, underneath that place where the rock falls at the time that it falls. Let me ask you guys a question. When you're making your decision-making about going to the mountains or going to somewhere like that that would have falling rock, and do you ever think about, oh, man, there may be falling rock on this road. We can't travel it. Like, we just can't go. There, there may be a rock that falls off that mountain that crushes me to death. I want no part of it. The beach it is. I would rather deal with sharks than deal with falling rock. If that, is, if that is the decision you make, I'd love to talk to you after the service. Okay, because we we got we to work some things out. All that sign does is just make you cognizant. It doesn't necessarily change your decision making. You're not going to not go to watch the leaves turn in October because, because there may be falling rock on some road at the moment that you decide to go. Now look at verse 31. Understanding that there would be struggle. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. They're now at the cusp of a decision that needs to be made. They've got to pull the trigger is the juice worth the squeeze? Is what we may lose worth what we, what we can gain when we go in? The story of the Exodus is a story of anticipation and of hope. There's been all of these promises by God. I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be yours. You will be my people. I will be your God. And so it's almost like when it gets built up, and this is the way I was with the Top Gun sequel. Top Gun, one of my favorite movies on the world. Yes, it's 80s campy, but I am a proud American, and I, and I, I am Maverick and Goose one, you know, 100% of the way. I cried when Goose died. All right? Yes, that, the movie's 30 years old. If you haven't seen it by now, it's okay. <laughs> I didn't spoil anything for you. But we waited. Because of the pandemic, we had to wait an extra two years for that movie to come out. And I just couldn't wait. Like, I was so giddy. You could ask Allie. I was so giddy going into the IMAX um, at the World Golf Village. I wanted to see it on the biggest screen I could, I could see it on. And so we went down there, and I was, so, I was so giddy. And in the back of my mind, I was hoping, man, I hope this isn't lame. Like, I, I hope this lives up to the hype that I've built it up to be. That's where the Israelites were. Mind you, every day they're walking through the desert. It's a 1,000 degrees in the morning. It's a negative 1,000 at night. They don't have an endless access to supply to water and to food. They're trusting in God to provide. But they've got all this anticipation, all of this hope that it's going to be better. And then they're hit with a bad report. The rock is now falling. Now, mind you, Top Gun 2 was fantastic, by the way. <laughs> what went wrong? 
the focus of the Israelites, because of the impending struggle, their focus was misplaced. Look at verse 31. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Man, you're right. They're right. Those people are bigger, stronger, faster than you. And they're going to kill you three kinds of dead. They forgot all the good things that God had done to get them to that point. Winston Churchill once said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And they had forgotten that God led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, had provided water from rocks, had provided manna from the sky, made quail come out their nostrils. In the midst, church, and this happens to us, in the midst of the struggle, we can, be, we can become so consumed with how big the obstacles are, we forget that our God is bigger. The promise that God made to Moses in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, where he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the, of the Egyptians. I did that. So sure, say, we're not able we're not big enough. We're not strong enough. We're not fast enough. But church, God's bigger than our obstacles. The Israelites trusted in their own reasoning over God's faithfulness. To this point, had God let them down at any point? No. But yet the Israelites were expecting him to do just that. And so they retreated. They dug their heels in. They said, we're not going a step further. They were already weeping and mourning over the defeat that had, it has not even happened yet. Now, church, we do that. We see the obstacles that are in our, that are in our lives and we say, it's over. When all God wants from us is to acknowledge that he's God and he's bigger than the obstacles that lie within us. Attaining God's will sometimes, church, involves struggle. God was using these 40 days to stretch the Israelites. Did they take God at his word or not? Was he truly going to follow through and give them the promised land? Did they believe that God could do exceedingly abundantly over everything that human logic said he couldn't do? Did they believe that he could? Did they believe that he would? Did they believe that God would go before them and be their banner, to be Jehovah Nisi, to be their banner, but yet also be their rear guard? I think we're not much different from the, the old Israelites. We doubt God's promises. We 
doubt his ability. And so he tests our faith. He stretches, he uses the moment, the times of interim, the times of waiting to stretch our faith. And church, that's exactly what he's doing with Fort Caroline Baptist. He is stretching your faith so that when your new pastor does arrive and you thoroughly stalk him on Facebook, that you will be spiritually prepared to take you to trust God, to trust God's man, and to follow him into the next chapter of this church's history. God is constantly moving, he is working, and he's accomplishing things on your behalf. He, he tests and we're stretched. He moves and we benefit. We may be deterred, but he never is. And so finally we see that attaining God's will requires faith. All right, so they bring this bad report and wedged in between the bad report is Caleb who is standing on the side going, wait, 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 did we go to the same place? I don't know that we did. Look at verse 30. He says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and says, let's go up at once and occupy it. Well, we are well able to overcome it. Caleb knew they were able because they had God on their side. God. It didn't matter to Caleb who they faced, what they faced, what the challenges were. Because the only person in the fight that mattered was the one that led them out of bondage across the Red Sea, through the desert, and to the doorstep of the promised land. Church, God plus nothing is a majority. You're on the right side. Believe it. Put your money where your mouth is. You say we trust God, you amen in sermons. You're present, you're active, you're serving. When the times of stretching come, our response should be, if God is for us, who can be against us? Matter of fact, Paul told us as such in Romans chapter 8, didn't he? Look, flip over to Romans 8. We love to take this verse out of context. Speaking of taking verses out of context, which I don't really think Matt did earlier. I think that was very appropriate. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Man, we love this one. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those he... For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. And those who he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So what then shall we say to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? So you Bible scholars in the room are sitting back and you're ready with your Bible to come talk to me after the service and tell me that Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, when, when God tells Moses, you will be my people and I will be your God, that you're going to tell me that that promise is for Israel and not for the church. Man, you are, y'all smart. Y'all smart folks. Y'all biblically learned folks. But God's called you to salvation. Because of the process of spiritual adoption, do you know that adoption is kind of like a, a skin graft? 
when you when you you get a bad burn or whatever, they'll take they'll take um, uh, skin from another part of your body, like the back of your of your like your hamstring or even from your your buttocks, and they will lay it over that particular place, and they will allow it to grow back. You'll actually grow new skin. It's called a graft. When Paul speaks of the idea of spiritual adoption, the church, we're Gentiles, right? I mean, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. It's that easy. For the non-Jews that are in the room, where the Exodus 6 promise is not for us, because we have been adopted into the family of God, we have been grafted into his promises. The promise that God that we will be his people and he will be our God was for Israel, but it applies to us. Because when Jesus died and rose again, we were grafted into the family. That's what the Judaizers and Romans couldn't understand. They weren't special because they were Israelites, because they had Jewish descent. They were special because God loved them. And we fall into that same category. When God told Joshua... Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid, for the Lord will go before you. He's going to fight our battles for us. Church, next week we're going to look at the Israelites' response, because all we see here is the report. But as we leave today in the uncertainty, because you know, we haven't read ahead to Numbers 14 yet, we're living in the uncertainty of what the Israelites are going to choose. Church, I want you to, as you walk out today, I want you to think about how you would respond if God were to call you to act out on faith on something that seems absolutely and totally ludicrous. And then when we come back next week, we're going to look at their response and why the Exodus lasted another 38 and a half years. But church, as you leave today, be reminded that the God who created you, who knew your name before the foundation of the world, who called you to salvation, who justified you and will glorify you on the last day, has never left you, has never forsaken you, and in your struggle is seeking to bring glory to himself and good things for you. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, you're going to be dismissed. In the back, Pastor Matt is going to be standing. He looks an awful lot like a skinnier version of me today. He's wearing a black polo and jeans. You want to talk to that man about what it means to be a part of Fort Caroline Baptist Church. Because this is the place that God's moving in this part of town. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior and the world is just crashing around you, We'd love to talk to you about what it means to trust in Jesus as Savior and have your world changed completely, wholly, totally, and utterly for his glory and for your good. Father, we love you and we praise you. As we prepare to leave today, God, may we leave with the promise that that which you started, the good work you started in us, you will see it through to completion on the last day. And so, Father, go with us now as we leave. For your glory and our good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God's blessings on you as you go today.